Hello and welcome back to Darling Why. My name is Kate and this week I'm talking to Louis about maybe one of my favourite TV shows of the last couple of years, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Warning up top, I'm going to completely spoil the ending, so if that's important to you, maybe watch the series before you listen to this. I've also put some content notes in the show description because mental health is a big theme in this show so please do give that a look and as always take care of yourself um, before you decide to listen and uh, with that let's get to it some sort of musical intro is like a bit <laughs> the top. <laughs> I was tempted to start seeing white women's Instagram that's like, Bo Burnham content no, that, no. that would get copyrighted immediately <laughs> <laughs> we can refer to it we must not recreate no. <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about today no. not at all <laughs> we were talking about a different form of musical comedy we're going to be talking about the CW series Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So for people who don't know, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a musical comedy series that ran for four seasons between 2015 and 2019 on the CW. It's created by Rachel Bloom and Aileen Brush McKenna. Songs throughout are written by Rachel Bloom, Adam Schlesinger and Jack Dolgan. The show follows Rebecca Bunch who starts the show by quitting her job as a lawyer in New York because she runs into her summer camp boyfriend, John Chan and then she decides she's going to relocate to West Covina, California where he lives. Definitely not just to win him back. Antics ensue. (laughs) And that's the premise. Throughout its run interestingly it got some of the lowest ratings on the network and was like at perpetual risk of getting cancelled but uh, it was so critically well received that it, it lasted kind of all the way through its story arc that they wanted to do. I definitely heard a rumour that the show was essentially being kept on because the head of the network really liked it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Also, the CW, the vast majority of programs in the CW are superhero related, especially at that time. Yeah. Like, the CW doesn't do it doesn't, programming yeah. during the daytime. There is no daytime CW. It's literally prime time. And at this point, it was only putting on shows, I think, not even every day during the week. I think it was like four, it was like four or six days a week. It wasn't even running seven days. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. I think that's changed now, but I, it was just something I found really interesting when I was um, researching some other stuff for something else. Like Okay, because like, I have heard of the CW and I know some shows that are on it, but because it's an American network, it's yeah. not like, you know, I kind of know how like Channel 4 or ITV yeah. or stuff kind of run. In... If I remember correctly, it's called the CW because it's co-owned by CBS and Warner Brothers, but oh, you okay. can fact check that. Because it's the sort of successor to... They used to have a network called the WB. It's sort of the successor oh, to that. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But I think, yeah, this show is a bit of like a, a quirky outsider. Definitely yeah, on this network. Yeah. Oh, oh, God, that's why it's so interesting. It wasn't written for... Tra- like, I, I cannot stress this enough. There is fuck all even close to this yeah. on that on that pro- block of programming. Like, at all. This is such an outlier yeah. for that channel. It's jaw-dropping. I do remember <laughs> um, when the show was on, like, reading an interview ages ago with Rachel Bloom. And forgive me if I mix up network and cable, because, again, not in America. But, so this is on network TV, which I feel like the general gist is, like, you have to be a bit cleaner overall. 
yes. um, than say if you're like on an HBO, which I'm yeah, thinking is cable. Drop, you can't drop an F bomb. Exactly. So their original, like the original pilot, was written for cable. Yeah. So like it's much dirtier, yeah. and there's a lot more swearing, and, and they kind of didn't get picked up after that pilot, yeah. and then had to clean it up for network TV. Yeah. So there are versions of some of the songs on the youtube page yeah. that include more explicit lyrics yes. that were not allowed yes, on yes. the cw <laughs> <laughs> um which i do enjoy so it's a five no it's a four season show so i don't want to just describe no because that's defeats a the ton point. of episodes and also there are a total of 157 songs written for the show over the course of its run so i'm also not going to you can't see like well so well, 38 break it down um, yeah. i mean one article that i am gonna link in the show notes is a rundown from vulture which is every crazy ex-girlfriend song ranked yeah so it's all 157 <laughs> ranked <laughs> and i did refer to that at some points just to see where in that ranking um, your favorite well. my favorites yeah. land I'm going to touch on basically three points. I'm going to set this out like a like an essay in secondary yeah. school. I'm going to touch on three things. I'm going to talk about the songs. I'm going to talk about the characters. Yeah. And I'm going to talk about mental health and how this is a great ending of a show. Yeah. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So like I say, we'll start with the songs. Uh-huh. They are great. Yeah, they are. Right? 157 songs. That's a lot of songs. I'm going to touch on three. Yeah. But there are obviously more than three really great songs. On this show. And overall, before I get into these three songs that I picked, they are so funny. I mean, they're first of all, they're just great parodies of the songs they're trying to emulate. Yes. I think there are some that are kind of, I will call it kind of more, like a more general Broadway vibe, especially as the show goes on. I think they're kind of like, we know who's watching this. Yeah. And it's musical theatre nerds and we're going to wink at them. Yeah. But like they also, especially in the earlier shows, have done like, really astute pastiches let's say of things like Kesha and the Pussycat Dolls of um the Rat Pack of the early 2000s pop punk one made me laugh so hard because fuck that nonsense yeah (laughs) I've seen them take off Bruce Springsteen um loads of shit from the 80s it's just like they do different types of musicals very well yeah but they can do the pop stuff. I think just some of the bigger numbers are very like big Broadway. That would be the influence of Adam Schlesinger. Yeah. Fountains of Wayne. Yes. Yes, I'm aware. Yeah. Um, I think you're not aware. Yeah, yeah. The audience might be thinking. Yeah, no, that. it's it's and and like Stacey's mum has got all, going on. Yeah. You all know that one. Yeah. Is there another good song as well? 157 of them apparently. 157 of them. Yeah. <laughs> that was not, I, I was never like a Fountains of Wayne. Fan? I suppose because there was only they that have, one song oh, over you here. You probably actually really like them. Really? Because yes. that's the only song I ever knew by them, and I yeah, didn't like that one song. Not all of their songs sound like that at all. Trust me. If you listen oh, to that record, okay. even that one, that record is called "Welcome Interstate Managers." It does not. It's not just ten Stacey's moms. Oh, that's interesting. Like, so they they've kind of been like one hit wonder cursed a little bit. Well, they had multiple albums before that as well. They're not. But that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, I've I've just assumed yeah. for. A, a decade and a half, but that's their that's whole vibe. That's just their sound. Yeah. It's not. Well, we learn something new every day, don't we? <laughs> you think about it. The, the the broad the broadness of the songs that he contributes and how and Fountain is if he was only writing songs that just sounded like Stacey's mum, there's mm. no why on earth would you pick him to that's work with true. you to do all this? It wouldn't work because all he could write was Stacey's mum. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and no, the three of them really do bring like different like styles and everything yeah. to the show. 
But yeah, they're just a great set of songs. Like some of them have been nominated for like Emmys and things. It's just like the quality of songwriting is really good. And like so many of them, I will say. Like I do like that the majority of the time the songs do drive the song along. Yeah. Which as we've discussed in previous episodes where I've talked about musicals, yeah. I think is key. I don't want songs just to fill a gap. Yeah. Which occasionally they do, but when they do do that in this show, um, I also appreciate when... Do you know how like sometimes, you know, jokes are just there to be funny? Yes. And sometimes they're they're kind of making it... But, but sometimes it's nice to just have jokes that are there to be funny. Yes. Like, you know, there's no greater meaning to a fart joke. <laughs> None of us are here trying to pretend that that's a great like cultural commentary. But um, it's funny. Excuse me, fart jokes are actually really meaningful and like, profound. We all fart. Yeah, and they're funny. It's so, like, relatable to the human condition. Oh, my God. Why would you be so ignorant? I feel like I've come back around, like, when you're a child's toilet humour is very funny. (laughs) And then when you're, like, a teen, early 20s, you're like, I'm too fucking good for that. Like, I'm... I'm... (laughs) Oh, no, I always thought it was funny. No, I was... I went through a phase of, like, I'm too good... I'm too classy for this. And I'm right back around. Hilarious. (laughs) Hilarious. So there are times when songs are just there to be funny. And jokes for the sake of jokes yeah. and that's fine but they do drive the song along i want to start by talking about one that really just like it is an earworm yeah as, and i think about it like it just pops into my head sometimes and especially these last couple of weeks when i've been prepping this which is i think it's from this from season four it's called let's generalize about men yeah and it is the most like bananarama palmer sisters vibe ever yeah the visuals are all like you know big primary colors yeah. and stuff and it's such like a skewering of a certain type of like i suppose i'll call it like girl boss energy yeah. of just being like all men are terrible but not gay men they are best friends and they love it yeah. <laughs> it's just very funny when you're like i'm going to take any nuance or exception out of anything and just go real hard on yeah. it because it's so ridiculous yeah but it's so much fun and it's so catchy. And that's a real, in terms of like fun songs, that is, that really exposes like the ridiculousness of the concepts. Like I think that's quite typical of what I'm going to call like the jokey songs, which are most of the songs. Like all of the songs more or less have jokes. Yeah. Unless they're they really will, going they are for a point. In. Even in the more serious ones, they do... Oh, there's still jokes in the serious a, ones. Trachy, trachy one yeah. liner. But this Cheeky. is like... But there are songs that are like fully... We're just going joke, joke, joke yes. all the way through. Yeah. We chat the ass all over this house. Yes, exactly. I really... Part of me just wanted to like have a list of the song titles. Yeah. And that would be enough almost to convince people. <laughs> the other kind of, I suppose, 80s vibe song that I really like and I would feel incomplete without mentioning is a very iconic song from this show which is called Getting By yeah. By is in B-I and it is sung by a character called Daryl who is Rebecca's boss in the show he is I'll just call broadly middle aged like yeah. he has a 10 year old kid yeah. um, and about halfway through the show he comes out as bi yeah. and it's fun and it's like Huey Lewis on the news yeah, it's, it's so it's, yeah, it's like Huey Lewis Square. a little bit Robert Palmer yes. with the sort of aesthetic it's that like it's, bra- yeah, but yeah, this all the yeah. rhyming schemes are a a a a for some reason, yeah. which should be really annoying, but <laughs> does work in this context. I mean, I've listened to a lot of Huey Lewis in the news, especially the big records. <laughs> okay, and American Psycho. <laughs> very, very, like that song is 
I could easily see that on like yeah, fucking it's, four. It's such that vibe. <laughs> it's such yeah. that vibe. And I like that like it's fun, it's without shame, it's yeah. a coming out song and like just to touch yeah, on great. the yeah, idea great. of representation on TV, which is that I have in my life, and I'm not saying I watch every show ever because I don't, but like I haven't growing up or whatever seen a whole lot of bi characters generally of any gender. But when you do see them, I do think they tend to be younger. So like they all tend to be the, what kind of describe? Yes, that's what I was going to say. They tend to be quote hot women in their twenties. Yes, maybe if they're if you're lucky, they're thirty. Like if you're lucky. So to see like a middle aged bisexual man represented happy on TV, he's coming out at like a slightly older age, and everyone's yeah. like, "This is great." Yeah, and no one is shitty, and it's not like a big, you know, it's not a big conflict yeah. necessarily. Like, there are obviously stories to be told where that is the case, but it is nice to have not everything is a horrible conflict yeah. when it comes to that kind of thing. And so it just gives me, like, very, like, happy feelings yeah. to see that represented. And yeah, that it is just so much fun. Yeah. Like, look, I like when bi characters don't get shit about it on yeah. television. And yeah, I mean, like, I hope that the trickle down effect is that people in general, because they're like, oh, I've seen that thing on TV, so I won't ask shitty questions. Yeah. Even if they're not malicious. Yeah. They're like, ah, uh, that's not what I want to be talking yeah. about in the bar. So <laughs> I, I'd like, I'd like to think that the song "Getting By" contributes yeah. to this um, positive direction. Yeah. We'll we'll cross our fingers on that one. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last one I want to talk about is so there's a category of song on this show that I would say is not primarily a joke song it's like an emotional it's like a big number from a musical it's like the act, yeah. act one closing number it, exactly and they're usually to do like i think some of the biggest ones are like rebecca coming to some sort of either realization or there's like a very strong emotional peak yeah. because something has gone terribly wrong the one that i wanted to talk about is called uh you stupid bitch which, like, is a horrible thing to say, but is every time I hear it, it's so funny. Yeah. Which is, like, I don't know what that is. You know, if if, if anyone called me that, I'd, I'd be so upset. But every yeah. time I hear it in the song, you ruined everything, you stupid bitch. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. It just is funny because I think it's so unexpected in yeah. that sort of big... It, it's like a Barbara Streisand number. I can imagine, like... Stockard Channing belting this out. It the especially the verses are very like um there are worse things I could do yeah. in Greece. Yeah. So it really reminds me of like that's the vibe, yeah. you know? This was the number one song in Vulture's Rundown. So uh Ali Paper Grease. This is this is the best crazy ex girlfriend <laughs> song. Right? Vulture agrees with me about this. Clearly. If I had to make a pick just for sheer ridiculous. Oh yeah, what's your number one? I mean if I had one. It's probably the ridiculous. We tap that ass all over this house. It's very, that's very fun because that's what a just great so, dance number that is. <laughs> yeah, it, it is because it's such a ridiculous juxtaposition, and also the prop work and yeah. the joy that the prop team would have had when they get asked, "Can you build a giant ass?" It's very funny. Like <laughs> that's the thing. Like there are so many I could pick. I mean, part of why I like the song is it comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. So there's a reprise in season at the end of season two with Rebecca's reprise, and in the last episode, 
in the song 11 o'clock. There is a concert special that exists called Yes, It's Really Us Singing. Isn't that like the quote last broadcasted episode? Yes. Technically. Yeah. Yeah. So they did like a live concert in LA and they, because obviously they're limited in the amount of songs they can do, if there's like themes, they kind of like put medleys together. So they have like a sex medley because there's Mm. so many songs in the show about sex. But they also have like a medley of this with the song The Darkness. Yeah. And The Darkness is a song basically personifying essentially like darkness and depression as like a guy liner boyfriend yeah his his name is taylor yeah and like the thing about this song is it's even though like its primary purpose i think is to be largely very revealing about like self-loathing and Mm. feeling like you're incomplete it is still funny yeah it is still it's one of those things if i were to just read the lyrics it wouldn't be funny yeah but within the context of the music and the performance and I suppose just that relatability of how I think, at you know, whether it's often or just once, I think everyone has had that experience where you like, you really mess, like you really screw up. And essentially your response to yourself is like, you ruined everything, you stupid yeah. bitch. Yeah. And there is something about these more vulnerable songs, whether they are... I suppose, emotionally mature within the character's arc or not. Whether it is much more just, I have this one really big feeling. As opposed to, I suppose, taking that step back and being like, well, let's unpack this. (laughs) It's not that. Even if it is in those spaces, they are still easy to resonate with. Because like one of the things to keep in mind about this show, and I suppose particularly in the earlier seasons, is like Rebecca is the worst. Yes, she is. She's just the worst person yeah making terrible choices all the time if you want a show where the quote main protagonist is like likable you might want to take a minute before you watch this because she does many very bad things yeah the actions of the (laughs) character are very unlikable i think she's not like a fucking monster but no she does stupid shit a lot of stupid shit that hurts people and if if you don't what if that's not the sort of thing you enjoy you might want to take a minute yeah, I mean, it is one of those things I think not every actor could play that role because I think you have to have Rachel Bloom's likability to stick with it. Do you know what I mean? Like, if it, if it wasn't someone with the same charisma. I don't think the show works if anyone else... Like, even if you had exactly the same creative team behind it, if for whatever reason Rachel Bloom doesn't play Rebecca Bunch, I don't think the show works. No, I don't think it does either. I, I, I don't like, think it could. I, I do think it's a rare performer who can pull that off in terms of keeping you because you are I suppose essentially on her side and it does like that's I suppose at the end of the day you are still supposed to be on her side and that does pay off which I'll talk about when I talk about the ending of the show spoilers I'm going to ruin the whole ending of the show so maybe you know (laughs) just if you want to watch it go watch all the episodes and then come back to this (laughs) This song comes after her being like a series of just being the worst, you know, like even when she has been the very worst, I think there is something to relate to because Mm. to to varying extents, I think we've all been in that very kind of like self-loathing, berating sort of place. Mm. And it, it just connects and it makes the character, even though she's doing all these terrible, terrible things, it does make her relatable in that sense. Yeah, that they're my top three songs. I could, like I say, I could probably go through each one individually and break it down. Yeah. But then we'd be here for hours. And before I move on, I do want to touch on the fact that, so there's four seasons and there's a different theme song for every season. And I do like that it changes every season because I think if you kept, even though I, I, and I like all the theme songs in their own way, 
but if you kept the season one theme throughout the show, it would start it would to make feel no fucking sense. very mismatchy. Yeah, it would make no fucking sense. You could you could maybe keep it on for season two, I think. Even then, I, I wouldn't. I disagree. But, but I think it still kind of makes sense, but really, you lose the plot completely then yeah. when you get to season three. Yeah. But I do think like it's an interesting way to mark how the characters and obviously primarily the character of Rebecca changes over the course of the show. Yeah. Because and I'll 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 get into this in a second, but like all the characters actually do change quite dramatically yeah. from season one to season yeah. four, which is really interesting to watch. But about the about the themes, in an interview with Tara Bitrin for the Hollywood Reporter, Rachel Bloom said Quote, the reason the theme songs change is because the story Rebecca is telling herself each season changes. The first season she was telling herself, I'm not in West Covina for Josh. The second season she's like, okay, well, I'm just a girl in love. And the third season ended up with her grappling with this idea of, do I want to be crazy or not? It was a season of confusion. In the fourth season, she kind of knows who she is. She kind of doesn't. Mm. End quote. And then later she stated... Um, there is no one who can be summed up into a theme song. So part of it is that like people are actually very multidimensional and multifaceted. Yeah. And I do think that part of the beauty of this show is when you start like the characters in season one, and like and, and I mean this intentionally, they are a bit more like black and white and cartoonish almost. All right. Cartoonish is the wrong word, but like almost slightly caricatures and over the top do you know what I mean like everything's very over the top and I think that even though ridiculousness continues throughout the whole thing the characters do become more like grounded and like reasonable (laughs) Mm. as the show goes on I do think like that those changes do happen yeah and you know you bring the audience along with you and like so to touch on the characters a little bit I do find it interesting that, like, there, even though there is a framing of, like, this is the good character and this is whose side we're on. Yeah. Like, so the character of Josh is not always framed as, like, good. Yeah. Sometimes he is and sometimes he isn't. Yeah. The male characters, like, the love interest characters are kind of in that boat, I think. There's yeah. times when they're framed as, like, the bad one. Yeah. And times when they're framed as the good one. Yeah. And, like, Rebecca is generally, because she's the POV, like, yeah. it's framed as the good one yeah but like in reality all of the characters literally all of them have some sort of like deep flaw or issue or yeah. something that is like directly influencing how they are living their life or yeah. how they're relating to other people even the most reasonable characters in the show yeah so like white josh is very reasonable he's yeah. the most level-headed character in the whole show and he still has you know yeah has to kind of grapple with relating to he is dating Daryl for a while in the yeah. show and they have to kind of figure out how they want to manage that and that's yeah. like a lower stakes thing because they're both kind of reasonable about yeah. it all it's it's not as um dramatic no. as other people's interactings but like everyone has something going on there isn't really like a fully like one dimensional character yeah so I do find that interesting that there isn't like these are the good guys and yeah. these are the bad guys they're all both yeah they're all kind of terrible yeah <laughs> so like the more main character you get yeah the more in like if it was a different show you could frame the same person like as the villain of the yeah. piece which is intriguing to watch I find yeah. that I do find that kind of like captivating to follow yeah the other thing to touch on so over the course of the four seasons there's kind of three main love interests um, which directly relates to the ending, so it's worth getting into. So you have like the you've Josh Chan, who she moves to West Covina for, 
And they met at summer camp when they were teenagers. Yeah. And obviously, you know, that's true love. Uh, she dates Greg, who is Josh's best friend. Yeah. And who she meets in West Covina. Yeah. And then um, the third love interest comes in around season three. And his name is Nathaniel. And he's a lawyer who moves to the town to... He, he's bought a stake in the law firm she works yeah. at. And so you have these three very different kind of... Well, I would still call kind of sitcom relationship yeah. dynamics. So like Josh is like, it's young love, it's yeah. destiny, it's a fairy tale. Greg is that real like, we're both a mess and it's so intense and we're terrible for each other, but yeah. we love each other. And then Nathaniel is kind of that like love-hate yeah. chemistry thing. Like, I hate you, but yeah. I want to be with you. Yeah. So they all start in kind of a very... I would say this isn't going to work in a long term kind of way, you know, kind yeah. of fiery passions burn out quickly yeah. type of way. And yet, because of the way they all change individually over the course of it, yeah. by the end of the show, I would be like, yeah, you could reasonably say that any of those relationships could work in the long term. Yeah. Which again is interesting because I do find with television, the level of change mm-hmm. is not the. Especially with like on again, off again type things, like a real sitcom trope of on again, off again. I don't think characters necessarily change that much in those things. The situations around them change. Yeah. But like there isn't a dramatic enough change that in the show they change the actor and make it work because he's so changed that you can be like, he's the same person. And and she's like, what? It's just like meeting (laughs) someone new because the actor is different. I like that and I suppose it feeds into how they kind of talk about like mental health and stuff but I do like that it is very much on people to essentially like figure their shit out and either proactively kind of change the way they behave with other people or their situation in their life or whatever it is yeah um to to become more fulfilled essentially rather than just doing the same thing over and over again and just kind of hoping that things work out and things are never my fault it's just the universe it's it's an interesting thing to observe because it certainly starts in the latter sense yeah and kind of um evolves to the former yeah and yeah, that leads me on to how the show portrays mental illness and mental health and I suppose like interacting with, even interacting with like psychiatry and psychology and all those things, yeah. which I find uh, interesting in every, as, as we know, so many of the things that I've brought to the show to you, Louis, have been like, is it a musical theatre piece or is it a mental health theme? And here we have both. <laughs> Are you surprised? No. Of course not, because you know me well. But I do think that this show does do something that is different from other shows or pieces of media mm-hmm. tackling this topic. The first thing that I really do appreciate about this show is it it is bringing to a wider audience a very stigmatised condition, which is borderline personality disorder, which is what Rebecca gets diagnosed with in season three. And it is is still trying to present her as like a complex person Mm -hmm. who is not just whatever stereotype people carry about, um, well, if someone has BPD, they're like X, Y, Z. And I suppose they're not just boiling her down to... Um, these are my worst moments when I wasn't able to quite manage what was going on with me. Yeah. And yeah, I, I do like when media or whatever it is, like takes a broader lens yeah. of like what is mental illness yeah. and like what 
comes under those and what do we want to destigmatize? Because yeah. I do think you hear less about certain conditions than others. Yeah. And those are the same conditions that tend to be and I suppose they they can kind of um people might not feel comfortable or they might have misconceptions about what that actually means. I mean, the example, which is unrelated to this, but the example I often use is like for many, many years, I think, you know, whenever you heard the word schizophrenia on TV, it was kind of like, well, they must have multiple personalities, even though they are two completely separate things and have nothing yeah. to do with each other. But they were put together. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a misunderstanding of what each condition dissociative identity disorder and schizophrenia actually are and then it's also painting them in a certain way so like people with x do this do you know what i mean and i think that while the show doesn't shy away from the more challenging issues and the troubling things that rebecca does in the show so like there is um an episode where she attempts suicide and ends up in hospital and that's how kind of her mental health recovery begins before that in kind of a, a, a moment of kind of crisis ends up sleeping with Greg's dad yeah. and th- the thing I liked is none of these things are played for laughs yeah. now I don't think many things would play that for laughs but there is a world in which you know you can be like Doi, I slept with your dad I don't know but you know it, th- there is there is, yeah. a, there is a type of show that would do that yeah. and it's not it is really seen as like oh no yeah. like I'm spiralling here and even with those things it still refocuses back on her as not just a quote unquote crazy person, yeah. but like as a whole person. Yeah. And what I like about it is there is like this emphasis on working on it. Like it is work to manage it yeah. and to learn the skills to manage it. And you have to kind of take responsibility for it with yeah. the support around you. But you have to take responsibility for your health. You have to take responsibility for your actions so at one point so rebecca has a, her own like has her own stalker at some point at one point in the show yeah for various reasons she ends up pushing him off a roof yeah and finally there are consequences to her actions and she goes to jail for a while yeah because for most of the show there aren't consequences for her actions and i i think if you if you're trying to toe this line of like you kind of need to take responsibility and work on yourself and all yeah. these things you can't just let her off the hook for shoving a guy off a roof yeah <laughs> do you know what i mean and i think so i think it was a good thing that they were like actually no if, if you do a b happens and like same for other characters like greg has to get sober he has to make difficult choices he leaves west covina and then comes back and decides to stay which is just as difficult a decision yeah paula has to work on her own marriage instead yeah. of living vicariously through rebecca's weird kind of stalking of josh yeah. josh has to learn to grow up yeah address his commitment issues but also be like like his character a lot of the way is very much it was in a different way than Rebecca, but just being like, oh, I'll fall into this relationship and everything will be fine. You just yeah. kind of work itself out. It's fine. It's chill. His character, it does feel like he is growing up yeah. throughout the show mm-hmm. and just becoming more of like an adult, <laughs> even though they're all adults, you know what I mean? But he's so, he is very like childish in the way he approaches things a lot of the time in the early bits of the show. Yeah. Again, so that it's not always just on like, well, Rebecca's a crazy person and yeah. everyone else is fine. Like everyone has problems that they're trying to work through. Yeah. 
And like the show normalizes taking meds, it normalizes going to therapy, putting in work. Rebecca keeps doing all these workbooks, yeah. which I find really funny that she's just like, I'm going to be an A student yeah. at therapy and workbooks. And yeah. I'm just gonna, oh, do another BPD workbook. Yeah. Like that amuses me greatly. I love that. And like they have songs that emphasize this. So there's a song called A Diagnosis, which I think is another one of the iconic songs amongst yeah. the fans and then there's another song called antidepressants are so not a big deal yeah and like obviously like in comedy songs you can't encapsulate like all like the nuance that we could discuss about yeah. medication and intervention yeah. and diagnosis and all these things surrounding like yeah. mental health and psychiatry but it's still a different kind of more nuanced take than i've commonly seen yes particularly when it comes to issues like bpd or like with Greg's alcoholism yeah. and stuff like that, yeah. you know, which are kind of, I think, more shied away from. Yeah. If we're going to see these characters as like positive, yeah. if you know what I mean. Uh, there was a New York article written by Emily Nussbaum who said, quote, the final season reached for something I've never seen a show pull off, dramatizing themes, among them repentance, sobriety and humility, that are much harder to make more enjoyable than one girl's madcap hunt for true love, let alone set to music. Yeah. And I think they do pull it off. That's the thing. And it, like, it is much more difficult to be trying to grapple with all these like quite like like heavy, yeah. darker themes mm-hmm. and still be like, we're a comedy. <laughs> we're a musical comedy. <laughs> and I do think that they do pull it off in a way that is very humanizing of the characters rather than making them into like caricatures yeah. of what they could be. Yeah. And so the last thing I wanted to, to touch on was why I think that this was just such a great ending for a show. And like, I think a lot about, like how the show ends really colors the experience for me. I gotta say, like, you know, Breaking Bad, top tier ending, very satisfying. How I Met Your Mother, not so much, you know, like <laughs> famously not so much. <laughs> you know what I mean? There is there is something about like, if, if a show ends really well, or if it kind of doesn't quite, hit the way you wanted it to. Well, if you're emotionally invested in it as heavily yeah. as people like the show are, mm. like, people like, there's no, like, oh, I'm just going to casually watch this because, like, nobody watched it. No, it's a cult Metaphorically, show. nobody watched yeah. it. Like, so whoever was watching it was very in. Yes. You know, you don't casually put this on in a background while you do your ironing or you hoover the floor. This is, or, yeah. you know, you jump on the exercise bike and do it. Do a few miles. Yeah. You know, and I mean getting your Peloton. This is a this is is a slight tangent, but like so many of these shows that I love that get cancelled for low ratings. As someone who doesn't live in America and obviously cannot contribute to said yeah. ratings, I'm like watching all this shit on Netflix, right? Yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah. why do these not count? It was the same with Hannibal. I'll never let it go. <laughs> so I, I do think it you know, it does have that very cult following of, like, the people who were in are so in. Yeah. They're so in on this yeah. show. The ending of the show, for context, described the last two episodes, they are centred around a bachelor-type situation. Yeah. Where Rebecca is going to go on a date with each of the three love interests and then will choose, at the end, who is the love of her life, I assume? Yeah. Who she's going to pursue a long-term relationship. Yeah. It's... And they suggest it. It's not Rebe- like yeah. which is interesting to me because you know in season one it would have been like her being like yeah. oh because this is how, this how stories work, yeah. fairy tales work, and blah blah blah. And I love the ridiculous, the ridiculousness of that because it's very silly. Yeah. And even more so because all their friends are like doing a very active betting pool about yeah. like who will win, like putting yeah. 
a lot of money yeah. and which of the which of the love interests will win yeah but there's also like some some real kind of non-funny very genuine stuff in there so her therapist dr copian is like yeah if you're going to with clear expectations with consent and you stay grounded in the moment i think that's fine you know like yeah. which is the i suppose the unexpected thing but also just like yeah no that's true you know, they're important things to consider. If you are going in with like your eyes open, everyone's on board. Yeah. It is different than kind of doing like a manipulative game. Yeah. And also like the dates themselves, while they have funny moments, are very sincere. Yeah. They're very genuine. And what's interesting, I suppose, is like they're very sincere about the fact that even though like all the men suggested it, it's very hard. Like it yeah. sucks. It absolutely sucks to yeah. be like, oh, yeah, I know I suggested this, but yeah. now you have to go on the state with this other person. Yeah. And that's shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's there's a bit of like that kind of like ooh competition. Yeah. Where friendly enemies like yeah. it's a basketball game. But there is just genuine like this sucks. Yeah. I hate this. Yeah. I like that kind of, I think you do need that sort of like emotional genuineness yeah. and sincerity coming through. Like it can't just be all, I fell asleep on the toilet yeah. and and irony, yeah. even though those things are both in the last yeah. two episodes. Yeah. So that happens in the second last episode. And the last episode centers on like the reveal, you know, yeah. like who's she going to pick? Yeah. And, um, and it starts with this kind of like Ghosts of Christmas Future reveal yeah. where there's like a dream version of Dr. Copian while she fall, fell asleep on the toilet, yeah. like I just said. And basically being like, this would be your life with Greg. This would be your life with Nathaniel. Yeah. This would be your life with Josh. And in all three eventualities, you end up with her kind of seemingly happy in the first place. And then kind of just getting like this empty kind of sad look on her face yeah and so like real life rebecca is like what why aren't you happy why aren't you happy with any of them and it's kind of ends up being more about like because you don't know who you are yeah and like i think that kind of fits in with there is this kind of running theme especially towards the end of the series overall of thinking you got what you wanted yeah so for example like paula gets her law degree and works for this big firm yeah and realizes actually it's not everything she expected um nathaniel is also dissatisfied with his work um rebecca now like has this choice like she can be with whoever she wants to be with and none of it everyone has this like general dissatisfaction with their life yes that they assumed would be fixed by in most cases a relationship or like getting that thing that was just out of reach you know? yeah and it, it just doesn't it's just not the solution why i like this ending a big chunk of it is spent on finally opening up what happens when in the show there is a song happening yeah and what is happening, like, to not Rebecca is they're just seeing her stare into the middle distance yeah. and they have to wait for her to, like, arise from her yeah. m- musical theatre yeah. state. Which you only kind of get in the last one that, like, oh, no, she's actually stopping. Yeah. And Paul is like, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> and she explains it as, when I see these big moments of my life, I imagine myself in a musical number and there is this kind of like final reveal where she invites Paula to stare into like the mid distance with her. Yeah. And she kind of comes onto this set of the song 11 o'clock, which is all these costumes yeah. of from various songs throughout the show. Yeah. And it's very much like, well, these are all the identities I've tried to fit into yeah. over the course of the show. 
and, and being like, I don't know who I am, I'm crazy, I'm just like doing all these weird songs in my head. And like what I really liked about this is Paul is like, this isn't nothing, this is beautiful. Like you need to write down those things. You were so happy yeah. when you were doing like, you know, your Amdram community theatre. Yeah. Why don't you just do this? You know, you're trying to figure out what you want to do. And there is a real heartwarming sort of like this, this deep empathy and acceptance and excitement from a friend who yeah. really is like, oh my God, that kind of is an antidote to that almost like automatic self-deprecating yeah. instinct to be like, oh, it's nothing, <laughs> you know, that's the choice. She's like, I'm not going to be with any of them. Yeah, I'm going to take the time and I'm going to really try and figure out, is, is this the thing that makes me feel fulfilled? Yeah. And I love that. And like the last little bit of the show is kind of showing her like going to piano lessons and going to singing lessons and working on her lyrics. And she's like, it's unfair to say like she's just bad at them because she's not, she's a beginner at them. Yeah. But like, she's not good. You know what I mean? She's not like automatically Rachel Bloom. You know what I mean? It's, she's, she's not hitting her notes and singing. She's barely able to play piano and like is still really excited about it. And like, that's so sweet. Yeah. I just, I really, really like that. And like the very end of the show is her at an open mic night. And she says, romantic love is not an ending. It's just a part of your story, a part of who you are. And it just finishes on like, this is a song I wrote. And it cuts out. And I just, I mean, like, I suppose in the typical sense, it's like she chose herself. Yeah. But it's more than that. You know, it's taking that kind of like beginner's mindset and it's, it's making really hard choices. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that this is the only satisfying way it could have ended. Yeah. But it is, to me, the most satisfying way it could have ended. Yeah. And I like that it, like, leaves the possibility open that, like, something could happen maybe with one of them yeah. down the line. But but that's not for now. Yeah. And they're all figuring their own things out. Like, yeah. Josh is finally ready for an actual relationship. Nathaniel quits his job at the law firm and now rep- does legal representation for a zoo. And yeah. he's really happy about it because yeah. he loves the zoo. Yeah. And, like, Paula does her, like, pro bono work. Like, everyone's doing their own not just what they thought they wanted, but they've figured out through really hard decisions. Oh, yeah. this is what I actually wanted. And this yeah. is worth pursuing. And like yeah. the challenges that come up with that. And I just, I found it a very like emotionally satisfying ending. Yeah. That I suppose the answer is she's kind of finally figuring out who she is. And, uh, oh, this was in one of the articles, but rather than just being destructive, she yeah. can finally be creative. Yeah. And like you can hold all those complex things within one person yes. and surround it with very funny songs yeah. for four seasons, you know. So that's that's a, a quick rundown of why I love Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and why I, even though I've ruined the ending for you, why you should, I still think you should watch yeah. it. <laughs> Usually I still I, think you should yeah, watch it. Yeah, I can it. understand why. Yeah, I personally, it's, this isn't a show where it's like, ridiculously high stakes drama and you know like plot twists plot twists and all kinds of fun shit like that's not what the show is about to my understanding it's like that shouldn't if you're if that should not put you off if there's something that appeals to you that shouldn't put you off at all do you have anything else you'd like to add to your beautiful words no that's it what are you going to talk about next time all right next time we'll be talking about the 
Typo Negative album, October Rust. Excellent. Thank you very much for listening. We will see you next time. Bye. Goodbye. You were listening to the Darling Why podcast presented by Louis Tangarides and Kate Stewart. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to give us a follow at Darling Why Podcast on Instagram. Feel free to rate and subscribe on whatever podcast feed you're listening to. This podcast is produced, edited and put together entirely by Louis Tangarides and Kate Stewart. Thanks for listening. See you next time.